Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of the Cinematropolis.com, your home to thoughtful conversations on film. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and today we're going to take a journey of self-discovery to come to the realization that maybe we really just don't need an Oscar. We've already got one, Emma Stone. We don't need another one. <laughs> That's right. Today, we're going to be reviewing Yorgos Lanthimos' Poor Things. We're going to start with an icebreaker question before jumping into a spoiler-free review of the film. We'll also provide a verdict and recommendation there. And then we're going to conclude the show by going into an in-depth spoiler discussion. Uh, so join me today, as always. He wrote in on his electronic horse, Laurent Chapman, Cinematic Schematics co-host and award-winning Oklahoma filmmaker. Welcome to the show. It is always a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Also joining us from the Cinematropolis and Flick Attack, Daniel Bokemper. Daniel, welcome back. Hey, happy to be here. Also happy to report that I'm uh, pretty sure the brain inside my head is mine originally. And Oh, snap. <laughs> so we brought Daniel here because we thought, what better to talk about a film uh, about women empowerment than Daniel Bokemper's beard? Right. Exactly. Yes, yeah, so I'm going to let it do the talking for Okay. 90% of it. it's talking right now. <laughs> it's very important to have the, the Daniel Beard perspective on a movie about women. That's mm. for sure. And thankfully, filling that gap today, thank God she said yes on short notice. <laughs> Chelsea Radiman from Geek Girl Features. Chelsea, welcome back. Hello. I'm welcome. I'm so happy to be here. You know, it was so funny. We had planned this show before I had seen the movie. And originally we had three dudes in the cast. I And I'm being honest. I, I was it was Yorgos. I was like, you know what? I know I'm going to be at least interested in what's going on. Mm. I'm just going to go and blind. I'd seen the trailer once, but honestly hadn't really thought much about it outside of seeing it in the theater. And, uh, you know, you book it and then halfway through the movie, I was like, Oh crap, we got three dudes on a podcast about women empowerment. This is not right. Not (laughs) right in the universe, but luckily the universe did us a favor and Chelsea on short notice was able to join us on the show today. So thank you. Yeah. Anytime. It's not superheroes. It's not. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> it depends on how you look at it. I was going to yes. say. I, <laughs> but yes. I mean, I guess there are. The Ruffalo is in this movie. He doesn't. He hulks <laughs> out a little bit. Yeah. I mean, parts of him definitely hulk out, right? <laughs> Before we get into today's review, listeners, I just want to know that if you're listening to the show today and you enjoy the conversation and you like our Oscar takes, or maybe you don't, you can support us by subscribing and leaving us a rating and a review on your preferred podcast app. You know, this is most relevant to Apple Podcasts. We have a 4.6 rating, guys, and I really... You know, last time I did a call for ratings, people came and gave us one stars. So if you could, please kindly help us boost our rating a little bit. It would be very helpful. Apple Podcasts, you know what to do. You could also rate us on Spotify, where we have a solid five-star rating. To break the ice today, we don't really talk about steampunk on the show a lot. And Poor Things is set in a reality. It's kind of like a, a combination of historical fiction and steampunk fantasy. Mm-hmm. I'm not... And sometimes it's very unclear where where the lines intersect. So I thought maybe let's break the ice by asking a question. What is your favorite steampunk fantasy world and why? And I want to define for listeners steampunk. This is usually uh, something usually has a very strong 1800s Victorian era Mm -hmm. fashion matched with uh, what if the world was run by steam versus electricity is kind of the vibe. So you see a lot of big pipes and uh, machinery Mm. of of sorts. Daniel Bocamper, I'll start with you. What is your favorite steampunk fantasy? I think this counts. And if it doesn't, then I'm just going to admit that I shamelessly pounce at any time or any chance I get to talk about this film. Uh, And again, I think we're going to find this with a lot of our steampunk fantasies. Not a world I ever want to live in, 
Hmm. Uh, but one I thought was incredible on film, and that's uh, Terry Gilliam's Brazil. It's hmm. the bureaucratic dystopia filled with you know just bizarre devices for pleasure, torture, uh, inconvenience, and it to me feels a little realer every day. And uh, what I mean by that, this is really unfair. Uh, but every time I see like a uh, HelloFresh or like a uh, factor like sponsorship on, on YouTube or something like that, I think of like in this film, they go to like a five star restaurant and like what they're serving is basically like little pellets to like emulate whatever the the fine dining, whatever it is, like caviar or filet mm. mignon or whatever it is. And uh, I don't know. I just feel like as we get closer to these like these prepared, you know, gourmet meals and it just it just kind of. I don't know. It, it echoes Brazil to me, but yeah, just a brilliant film again. Um, very, very uh, bleak in a lot of ways. If, but not if you watch the American version, which is why you should definitely watch the, uh, the original UK version, the extended cut. Cause you get, it's the, been released uh, re-released as like the director's and cut. It is. And yeah. at this point you would be hard pressed to find the U S theatrical release. I think almost everything and primarily the criterion right now you're, you're going to get the UK. I think, you, I think you actually get both. If you do the criteria, you do, you yeah. do. But the primary film, you have to like select, mm-hmm. you, you gotta be like, I, I'm not strong enough to watch the, <laughs> like consciously select the U S version, which is weird to me. But, um, yeah, the difference being is one has a extra 15 minutes. It's, uh, it's just a fundamentally end. different movie. It is. Honestly, yeah. It yeah. ends on a severely different note. Yeah. Yeah, it changes the entire meaning of the thing you just watched. Yeah. yeah. So that's Terry Gilliam's 1985 cult hit Brazil. Mm-hmm. Chelsea Radiman, what is your favorite steampunk fantasy? You know, so I was gonna I was gonna plug one of my favorites, Penny Dreadful. Not super steampunk, but I was like, it felt like it fit the theme. It's it's definitely the time period. If yeah, yeah I felt like it. And then I was like, oh, I could you know, cute little book series that I read. I loved it. Um, but I'm actually going to um, I'm going to suggest I'm going to throw out there the 2004 masterpiece. Starring Hugh Jackman and Kate Beckinsale, Van Helsing. Van Helsing, yeah, hell yeah, unbeatable. Just every time, chef's kiss, absolutely. You know, multiple <laughs> times. It's, it's it's required viewing. It's it's so easy to watch too. You know, how many times I've turned it on to go like if, if you just like need something on in the background or, or like turn on to go to sleep. Van it's Helsing. super trashy, but it's so fun. Oh, it's so, so fun. Oh, it's so it's, fun. It is the definition of trashy, but it's the definition of guilty pleasure. That mm-hmm. is because mm-hmm. I love that movie and it is very bad. I, yeah. Oh, I God, yes. recently watched Bram Stoker's Dracula for the first time. And then as soon as that finished up, I was like, oh, I want to watch Van Helsing. <laughs> <laughs> a little palate cleanser. Yeah. <laughs> you see that that's definitely the same character, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, identical. Yeah. Clearly. Also, <laughs> I was I was listening. They were talking uh, to a podcast the other day. I can't remember which one. They were talking about the Underworld movies. Oh, Trial by Content. Uh, which is a show on the ringer that I really like. They were talking about that. As far as they could tell, that was where the whole idea that werewolves and vampires didn't like each other came from was that series. And Van Helsing is very derivative of the underworld series as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's, I didn't fact check that, but I just hmm. thought that was interesting. Also that like uh, the steak shotgun thing, oh, the whole thing, oh, the, yeah. little, the little, like the, the, the light thing that like explode, like there was yeah. just a lot of weird stuff in this movie. <laughs> Do you guys remember how he, what was it? He killed Mr. Hyde at the beginning of that movie. The giant CG Mr. Hyde. Yes. Yeah. There's, and- there's a prequel. It's a it's an animated prequel. What? It is about no Mr. Hyde. Yes. I have to see. You this. have to watch. It's got it, oh it, it's got um Elizabeth Bathory the uh the countess that like bathed in all the blood. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Oh yeah. Weird. Doesn't he fight him inside Big Ben or something? Isn't that one? Yeah. They, I can't remember. Yeah, I think it's, that's Van Helsing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Well, Laron Chapman, that leaves you. You got to talk Van Helsing. Good luck. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, well, I know which one's not. Like, uh, one that kept popping up uh, when I did a quick Google search um, was uh, Zack Schneider's Sucker Punch. And I've never seen a movie 
that was more truth in the title, you know, in terms of how I felt after I left. It felt like I got sucker punched. But um, what a weird movie, strange mm-hmm. film. And it really I really wanted it to work. because I know what it was trying to be, but it was such, it was just kind of cringy in some of its its you know, gender politics. Well, and, you know, what's funny and it's very relevant on this podcast. Poor things mm-hmm. where I remember at the time Zack Snyder called it his feminist manifesto. It, and you're like, it's not a Zack Snyder. You're a white dude. You can't she do that has to gyrate <laughs> sexually. To get to like release her powers, and it just feels like inherently like mm, no, I don't think you understand. <laughs> His own message doesn't work in it. But <laughs> but my choice, my actual choice for this, uh, is the Prestige, which I don't know if it's oh. like like straight on the nose, but it's like um, well, see that's yeah that's te- it's technically a set in history, which would not make mm. it the fantasy, but also they do weird magical shit in that movie, so I guess right. that counts. Right. Yeah. And more like aesthetically, I can see it there. Definitely. But but I get, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Time wise, probably not. But but yeah. So that that and that's one that like I said, one of those one of Nolan's you know unsung you know uh, masterpieces you know ahead of his most recent one. Um. So, uh, but yeah, that's that's one I that I enjoy quite a bit. All right, I've got three. I'm throwing out number one: Howl's Moving Castle, the oh, Miyazaki yeah. film, which is actually based on a steampunk novel of the same name. I do believe. I uh, really, really love the way that that because you get to see like the flying machines, you get to see the Victorian era uh, castles. Mm. Uh, it's that weird. It's that weird thing about. It's like what could have been if we weren't burning the planet to the ground. We were using steam instead, and there's it just seems like so bright and colorful. Um, and the things they're able to do are really, really, there are things they're able to imagine in that film are really powerful. And I, that. I, I feel like giant mechanical spider legs is like a distinctly steampunk thing. I don't, I don't I know. I think so. Became, yeah. Like, I don't know that motive. Which means Wild Wild West. Well, I was going to say, exactly. Yeah. Shout, 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 out, yeah. shout out to Wild <laughs> Wild West. <laughs> Forget Brazil, Wild Wild West. <laughs> um, I'm also going to throw out uh, the, uh, Matt, it's a Matthew Vaughn did start Stardust, uh, mm. which is a fantasy film that I think is just highly wildly underrated. Um, yeah. Super fun, super whimsical. The yeah, the pirates, they, their ship is fueled by the wind. Um, mm-hmm. It's just a super neat uh, reimagining and classic fairy tale feel good movie. Love mm-hmm. it. Uh, and lastly, just because uh, I've been in the mode lately, Final Fantasy Seven. Steampunk, oh yeah, uh, definitely steam, steampunk yeah. inspired for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a lot of pro environmental messages in that game uh, as well. And hey, we got a new one coming out, sequel to Final Fantasy VII remake coming out in February. So okay. riding that high, riding <laughs> that high. It's a very cool uh, lived-in world that I appreciate with a bunch of also steampunk, but also lots of weird '90s sci-fi shit in it too. Yeah. So, <laughs> listeners. What is your favorite steampunk fantasy? You can let us know by hitting up the Cinematropolis on our social media channels, including Facebook, X, Threads, Instagram, at the Cinematrop. Or you can just send us an email at thecinematropolis at gmail.com. Without further ado, let's get into our spoiler-free review of Poor Things. I am Bella Baxter. I'm a flawed, experimenting person. I seek outings and adventures. Bella, so much to discover. You're the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. I am finding being alive fascinating. Bella. Why I keep it in my mouth if it is revolting? (laughs) I must go punch that baby. So according to IMDb, Poor Things is described as 
the incredible tale about the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, a young woman brought back to life by the brilliant and unorthodox scientist Dr. Goodwin Baxter. Few important tidbits about this movie. This is Yorgos Lanthimos's eighth film as a director, and his first one since 2018 was a big awards favorite, The Favorite, also starring Emma Stone, Rachel Weisz, and Olivia Coleman. Poor Things is based on the 1992 novel of the same name by Alastair uh, Gray. Uh, the film stars Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, Willem Dafoe, Rami Youssef, among several others. And this film, Poor Things, was famous or perhaps infamous, depending on your point of view, for winning the Golden Lion Award at the 2023 Venice Film Festival. So we're going to be talking a little bit about the awards contenders uh, contention here uh, today with this film. And winning the Golden Lion is a pretty strong... Okay, it's definitely one of those nice notches on your belt if you're running for the Oscars. Yeah. So with that said, what is your overall impression of Poor Things? What did we like? What didn't we like? Chelsea Radovan, start us off. So I'm, I'm honestly, well, we watched this movie, what, two, two weeks ago, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm like still digesting it because it's there's so there's like much happening. I, I loved everybody was committed. Like everybody was so brave. Emma, mm-hmm. Emma of, of all of them. Um, and, you know, being able to set a lot of the conversation that you're having in that like fantastical setting really lets you expand that conversation that we, that you're having with it. So mm-hmm. I just, I loved all of it. Honestly, it was just every, every piece of it. I loved head over heels. Yes. All right. Love to hear that. Laurent Chapman. Uh, I too adored this film and I'm eager to rewatch it because I've, I have also, it's one of those movies where you leave and you're still, again, as you mentioned, you're still processing, you're still thinking about it because there is so much world building. It is a very odd film. And it did take me, honestly, I think it took me half the runtime for it to finally, I think I said when we went to see it, for it to finally work its magic on me. But it was an aha moment more than like a, I was never bored leading up to that. It was more so like just a lot of things it's throwing at you visually and thematically. Um, but by the end, yeah, I felt like I was just like once it finally possessed me, I was very much like um, in awe of, you know, how one, how beautiful the production design is, how great the performances are and just how much it has going on in its brain, you know, and it's mm-hmm. noggin, you know. So <laughs> it was um, yeah, it's it's a, it's I think it's a triumph for uh, for Yorgos. I think that um, I've to varying degrees have liked all of his films, but I feel like this is his most hopeful film because I really think so many of his films leave me feeling a little cold. I'm always more, you know, I more admire them than love them. This is the first one I could say that I actually felt very inspired and felt good coming out of because I think it's character, finally he found a character that he didn't just want to like cut open and, you know, see their insides. You know, it's like he actually cared about, you know, what was going on with this character and I, I, and I mean, although he did too. cut her open and look, he, li- I mean, he, he literally yeah. cut her open. But yeah, uh, <laughs> he definitely seems to be um, he seems to have an affection for this particular character. So. All right. So overwhelmingly, these two, this side of the table really likes them. Daniel Bokemper. Yeah, I will have to agree with uh, Chelsea and Leron. I, I and and this is the case. I usually tend to respond positively positively to Yorgos's work. I think a, that disarray he establishes, I think of in like the lobster and uh dog tooth as well. I think that's his first feature length film. Um, no, no, no. That's the first one people heard about. Is it okay? Yeah. He does have another one and I can't I remember the, more before that. Yeah. Mm, was it the, yeah, I, I remember the Alps. I can't remember if that one came after. I think dog tooth was just his first hit. hit. It yeah. was his first. His first yeah. Hit, yeah. Yeah. But, 
I, uh, yeah, that being said, I think he, A, the disarray he places you in, I think even the world building, even within reality itself, I think he, he has a strong, um, aptitude for world building. And at the same time, I really like his stories tend to lean into characters discovering, like finding their agency, despite these kind of reality breaking, um, obstacles. And I think in, in Bella's case, it's kind of, you know, you have the systemic, it's, it's like, she's getting hit by like both angles. You have the systemic, you know, chauvinistic Victorian uh, society where it's uh, run by a lot of men who just like to kind of own things. Um, and then at the same time, internally, um, you know, with her, her own story and, and, and sort of a like pseudo Frankenstein um, story that's going on there. I think it just executes that so well, and it does approach it in a way that's actually more optimistic and hopeful. I, I would argue that while a lot of his films end on rather bleak notes, I think, you know, some of them, again, Dogtooth and the Lobster, I think, do end in Alps and hopeful, but like, <laughs> obviously, you've seen this person go through a lot of yeah. irreparable damage. And and then and in this film, I think it actually, um, it still has all of that, but it but it is more, again, more optimistic. And I think he did a lot to diffuse um, the more bleakness. Warm. It's more warm. Yeah. No, there, it's there's more a, okay, there's, there's, ha there's a halfway of rap. This is a halfway of rap. It's, it's a fairy, and it is a fairy tale. Yeah, it it yeah. feels a lot more like a fairy tale by extension. And so while there there's a, a big element of this film that makes me, you know, feel like I have to add an asterisk when I say it's like his most accessible film, but I do still <laughs> stand by that in that I think um, from a narrative perspective, it's, it's a, a real, it's a really easy watch. Um, there isn't a lot I don't like about it. There is one like stylistic choice that, um, I didn't, I get why it's there and I receive it well and we'll get, uh, into it a little bit later, but I still think it mean the, and it's more of like an aesthetic choice that happens about maybe a fourth into the film, um, uh, maybe. And, and it works like it still is meaningful and symbolic, but it, 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 I, admittedly, I wanted it to approach it in the way that some of the cinematography does and in, in the way that the cinematography explains the story and explains the main character's um, cognitive capacity kind of widening and, and getting, you know, better. And as she sort of develops, I, I think it, it, there's one aspect of that where I think it stumbles a little bit and not every joke landed for me yet. Every line delivered by Willem Dafoe specifically um, as well as uh, Mark Ruffalo's character. I just feel like they both, hit really well. And then on top of that, Emma Stone's performance, which um, to me feels like the, the best I've seen from her. Not that I've seen everything, but, but this feels very, very strong. So yeah, ultimately I did love this film as well. All right. I'm going to be the naysayer at the table and say that this movie is just pretty good. I really enjoyed it. I think technically speaking, everything's working. The production design is outstanding. The score is unsettling in the right way. Uh, the performances are magnificent again. Yeah. Emma Stone for sure. Willem Dafoe, man, he's like one of those guys that I just feel like is never going to win an Oscar, but he's Ooh. doing like every time he shows up, he's just doing the craziest like monologues and swinging for the fences. And uh, I think he does it again here. I will say Mark Ruffalo, I, you know, the, I've got, I've really gone back and forth since I've seen the movie about how I felt about it. Cause I will tell you the first like three scenes he was in, I could not, I could not <laughs> like he, he's doing a thing with his voice that I just found awfully distracting. I kind of got on board with it, I guess, but it's still a weird performance and I, I'm not sure I'm as crazy about it as you guys are. Uh, it does kind of work for the characters playing, I suppose um, sort of greedy con man type. Um, I, I like the, I, I love the, the undercurrent of the, some of the feminist ideas that we're going to talk about in the spoiler section here that I think uh, Lamont as you and I were talking about seems 
obviously not uh, does mm, the timing of this release is, is it feels extra timely this year mm-hmm. uh, for a lot of reasons we'll get into. And uh, so all those things said, I think it's a good movie. I I don't like it as much as like say the lobster, which I think really challenged how I perceived and thought about the institution of marriage in a yeah. lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like uh, you do the same thing with royalty and the favorites. Um, and I just, I really like the story. It's really great, but it is fairly straightforward. Mm-hmm. And then I think that's to the film's benefit. But in terms of my favorite Yorgos films, I really like it when I'm sitting here chewing on like an idea, like two weeks later, this film it posits a lot of ideas and makes a lot of stylistic choices that are like, okay, that's, that's interesting. Let me think about that. But generally speaking, it is a straightforward story. All that said on the accessibility note, I'm going to politely, while I agree with you narratively, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. I really would, I'm going to represent the people. People are not going to like this movie. You're not going to take your parents is, to it. Oh, I'm so, my parents are going to be out in five minutes. There's so much sex in this movie, yeah, uh, which again, I think works and I'm on board. I'm on, we're on board at this table. Sure. Cinephiles who are, have that sort of like palette probably going to be down. But I would say the average person is not going to jive with this. Movie. Like they're going to get 10 minutes in and be like, what the hell am I watching? Mm-hmm. And Caleb, you've and got it, boats, you've got brothels and you've got brains. I, that, who <laughs> couldn't love I, it? I'm just saying when I just want to be very clear. I mean, Daniel, you can continue to think what you want, but I'm going to be very clear. <laughs> I would never, ever, ever use the word accessible to pitch this movie to anybody. Uh, that's not like a diehard in the womb. I think it's the most Yorgos Lanthimos movie that he's made yet. Yeah. In the same way, and Laurent and I were talking about this, it's like, you know how asteroids, they're, again, two different styles. I'm mm-hmm. not saying stylistically the same, but in the same way that Wes Anderson continues to become even more Wes Anderson with yeah. every project he makes, uh, you know, you could, looking at Asteroid City, where you're like, wow, I love this. But this is, if you hate his isms, this movie is has all of them. Has all yes, of them to yeah. the max. This is Yorgos doing that with his stuff. Mm-hmm. And I in some ways, I think the the lobster is a weird movie and it's got a lot more going on in the, the subtext, but I feel like that's a movie I could almost recommend to certain people that are more like air quotes normies. Again, there's a lot there that I would disclaim. This movie though, I'm I, I, there's just people I would straight up not recommend it to cuz I'm like I'm just you're not going to you're not going to jive with the movie. Right. Um so that's to say, really good movie. I'm not super eager to rewatch it. I do like it. It ends on an uplifting note that again is a nice change of pace for the mm-hmm. director and as we'll talk about Timely release. I think it has a lot to say about women empowerment, uh, uh, women taking uh, autonomy over their own body, mm-hmm. like all those things. Very timely themes. And I think it's going to be well represented at the Oscars this year. Let's talk about the awards conversation, though. I, I mean, Laron, you and I, this is our go time, man. Yeah, I think it, I think it'll it'll be represented very well in terms of nominations. Um, I think its biggest threat is going to be Barbie and a lot of the craft departments, because I think a lot of the same things that work really well in terms of world building with this, you know what I mean? As the, are the same things that are more palatable in, in Barbie that are also like production design, both of them. Great. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like costuming, both of them. Great. You know what I mean? Like, but they're different worlds, you know what I mean? Like, but I feel like they're both trying to accomplish kind of very similar ideas, but with each other in terms of this woman that's out of, you know, that's in this kind of having this fish out of water experience and this journey to self, you know, um, and, and again, like accessing her agency, accessing her autonomy, you know, like, and in a very male dominated world, you know, that um, is kind of, um, you know, steering her in a different direction. And that, that enlightenment that she slowly gets, um, they have, 
very similar outcomes too, I think in the end where they get to do what they want, you know. Um, but I think in terms of nominations, I think the one that we can count on is Emma Stone. If she's not the, you know, unrivaled front runner right now, I don't know who is, you know. Um, she's going to be, she's, I'm just going to put this out there this year. She, I feel like this movie is going to be my Oscar supervillain where I'm like rooting against it. To win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Including Emma Stone, not because she's not fantastic. Yeah, it's, she's great. She is. It's because she's already got one. She's already got one. I agree. Yeah. I, I'd arguably say this is far more impressive than Absolutely. the one she won for. Absolutely. Um, and, I, and I kind of wish there was, a, if she hadn't won for La La Land, <laughs> you know what I mean? Then maybe, Different then maybe this would be like a, yeah girl you did that thing <laughs> you know what I mean yeah. like so um but that being said I do think I think we'll see this in picture director costuming production design score editing yeah. sound so I mean like I mean really I think double digit nominations how well it's gonna fare in those will we'll see it'll be interesting it'll be interesting to see so I don't think you'll have to be rooting against it too much because I don't know if it's going to win all those categories I think it's just going to be shown a lot of love in terms of the craft department. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it definitely stands out. I'll say that it's very unlike, I mean, at least visually, definitely like anything else that's been, that will likely be nominated this year. So I give it points for originality. Yeah. You know? yeah. Chelsea, what do you, what about you? What do you think? What do you think in terms of its uh, awards potential? I am pretty much with you guys. I think it's going to see a lot of nominations. Um, you know, like, like Lauren said, Barbie, there's a lot of similarities, just like visually, aesthetically, um, messaging wise. So I think it'll do really well at nominations. Um, it might pick up some wins just if, if, if people are feeling like they want to lean a little more in the arts direction versus the, like yeah. how Barbie kind of went. Um, but I, there there's between Barbie and Maestro, because Hollywood really likes to reward movies about itself. Maestro is actually, you know, that's a good point. Maestro is actually going to be the supervillain this yeah, year. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think just because of Hollywood's tendency to reward things about itself. And I it's also be the one that's going to. And it also, I didn't even notice going in. Maestro was executive produced by Martin Scorsese, Steven Spielberg. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just like. Yeah. It's, it, 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 it's built to win something. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think poor things will show up. Um, I, I think it I think it might be too odd to win. Yeah. things okay i think that's fair the favorite did get some love but i would argue this movie is again a, a lot little, more a little more grounded a little yeah bit yeah and I, and I also feel like too like if you look at it like last year it, and, and it goes both ways because the oscars are just weird they're inconsistent with how what they what they favor one year versus the other and i feel like like last year was a pretty weird year everything everywhere all at once it's a pretty weird movie to be honest you like yeah, but, totally. mm -hmm. but you know but then they, they tend to go backwards the next year and do something safe. You know what I mean? Like, so, so maestro is what yeah. you're saying. So this yes. is, <laughs> please not. No, I haven't even seen it. And I'm like, don't do that. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Daniel, what, what are your thoughts on awards potential here? No. And, 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 and mostly in the same boat, like it's going to be everywhere and you're going to see a lot of it, but whether or not uh, it will bring anything home. I, I do hope um, just because I liked the cinematography mm. so much. And yeah. again, I, I think as all of us are, we're still catching up. Um, it is top of mind for me in my like favorite films of the year. But again, whether or not that plays out um, and that's reflected in the awards again, I think it will have a very strong presence, but you're right. I, I do think maybe we got our, our weird pick and I am well-deserving with um, yeah. last year too. I think we were all pretty unanimously behind it, but yeah. I, with everything ever at once, I mean, but with this year, uh, yeah, I, I just see it having a very strong presence, but I don't, foresee it taking home anything. And even as strong as Emma Stone's performance is, I am kind of in that camp where I'm like, well, you already got one. Like we don't need another one. But at the same time, I also think it's just like 
when I think of those individual categories, it's pretty easy for me again, except for cinematography, this film really speaks to me there, but, but in case of a lot of other things right now, I've, I feel like I've seen maybe slightly better films that obviously doesn't always pan out in award season, but yeah, I don't, I don't see it walking away with a ton, but definitely being nominated for a bunch, almost everything. Yeah. You know, cinematography, we're thinking Rodrigo Prito is going to get nominated twice, once for Barbie, once for killers. And if that's the case, those movies, two movies could split his vote could cancel. And out. then that could lead to a third, mm-hmm. third choice, third choice. And it's probably isn't third place in that. Regard, I would say, so, yeah. 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 So there's some ways there's some, there's some avenues. Work well, there. although Hoyt von Toima for, uh, Oppenheimer's going to be, that's going to be a tough one to beat. And there's too. a lot of love for Oppenheimer mm-hmm. this year. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, they did invent black and white IMAX. That was the first film to ever do black and white yeah. IMAX cinematography. So uh, yeah, something to be said about that, but, um, all right. So we've got a lot of juicy tidbits to talk about in the spoiler section, but until let's just really quickly get through our letter grades and recommendations. So Ron Chapman, what letter grade would you give? Poor things. Uh, I'm giving it an A minus. Um, it's a, there's some aspects of it in terms of length that I think pacing wise, you know what I mean. Like here and there, I was I was thoroughly engaged, but there are moments where I I did see it kind of slow start. Man, you slow, said it earlier. A slow yeah. start because it's it's yeah. really got a lot on its mind and it's really got to set a really strong foundation. So I understand why that's there, but it it does take a minute to get where it's going. But when it does, I was I was I was very enthralled. So. Uh, a minus, I feel like feels right, you know, in that regard. All right. Chelsea Radman. Yeah, I'm going to give it an A. I mean, everything that you're watching, everything that you're thinking about, feeling everything is just I think it delivers really well for it. Awesome. Daniel Bokipper. Yeah, mine is an A minus uh, as well. It again, I as a whole really, really, really like it. I think it's just a small, a relatively small editing choice that does carry out through the film that I think there was maybe an opportunity to better mesh the, the, the narrative and the overall theme of the film with that. And it just feels abrupt. I understand why it's there, but it, it feels a little bit weird. And yeah, I, I think overall though, just the performances again, for the most part, the cinematography and then just the, the, the world building. And it's just, it's really funny. And on the pacing note, there was a moment I remember distinctly where I was like, oh, no, this is actually going to start to like overextend itself a little bit in that final act. But it really didn't. It, it like yeah, really I, I had that fear, but then it just it just moves in yeah. a really nice and engaging way. I know exactly. Once yeah. we get to that final chapter. OK, we yeah, yeah. Where you like, need oh, one more chapter. And then yeah. but then it was a really good and one. It, no, it, no, was, it, was well, the, and it really underscores, I think, what the movie was about mm-hmm. and, and necessary. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. And very necessary for that character. And and I think it was. Yeah, it could have derailed a lot of the, the goodwill the film built. But I think ultimately it um, it didn't. It found a, a really nice place to finally rest on. So, uh, yeah, a minus for me. A minus uh, again B plus. Uh, I think uh, I really I, I like a lot about this film a lot. I, I love certain things about this movie. I do think the world building's impre- impressive. I think the cinematography, the production design is just kind of mind blowing. All the te- technically, I think it's great. I don't think it's my favorite of uh, Yorgos's movies. I do think the Lobster's probably still sticks out to me a little more. But again, I still think this is an extremely strong outing. I think people who know what they're in for with Yorgos are gonna love it. And I think the plus is because bringing sex back to cinema because <laughs> lots of it. that's a loaded conversation. But I'll just say we Hollywood in general has become kind of uh, what's the word 
Sexless. Sexless? Just, yeah. Just in the last decade. Is, yeah. Which is kind of weird because I remember growing up, it's like, oh, Hollywood's full of sex and sin and stuff. I'm like, not really, man. Like, even like the hard, like the rated R movies, it's pretty rare you get like uh, any sort of steamy sex scenes anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a whole conversation about that I don't want to get into around uh, intimacy coordinators and all of that. It's very valuable. Different conversation. Very valuable tools that hopefully will enable us to like yeah. do this in a more responsible even way. Even Nolan brought sex into a movie this year, an R rated movie. We were like, wait a minute. Wait a second. Yeah. No one doesn't do that. Doesn't do that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I don't know. It's just a nice thing to nod because it's that is a, a and it plays factors. It's, it's essential to the story yeah. and, and the character. Yeah. It's so essential. It's not gratuitous in that way. Right. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like it, yeah, I wouldn't even, yeah, I would say meaningful. it's very meaningful and it's just nice though, because it is a part of the human experience that I, I feel like, especially in America, we don't really talk about in a meaningful way enough for the story, not only to include it, but for really to be about how sex functions as a gateway to your own humanity, mm. I think, uh, and your own identity. Like, all that stuff is is pretty powerful. So that's why it gets a plus. It yeah. went from a B to a B plus because bringing sex back to the cinema. <laughs> uh, what other things would you recommend could be movie, television shows, novels, music, video games? Daniel Bokemper? Yeah, I think, um, again, it is a very difficult, um, a hard watch, but I think it's a worthy one. I, I, I would encourage people to go back to Yorgos' early filmography and uh, watch Dogtooth, his first hit, not his first feature length film, but his first notable film. Oh, want to clarify, uh, Dogtooth is his third film. Yes. Uh, his first one is My Best Friend in t- 2001. Then he That's had another right. one in 2005 called Canetta. I have not seen either of those okay. films, but Dogtooth shows up in Oakland. Neither being the Alps, Alps which is, is, is good, but I think it's after Dogtooth. It is at, yeah, yeah, yeah. 2011, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, but that would be if to dive into Yorgos a little bit deeper. And again, I would agree with Caleb. I actually do like The Lobster more than this film. That's the one I keep thinking about. Um, so I, but again, we've mentioned that multiple times. I, I think just to, to go and do a, like a hard nerd turn, as far as if you want more steampunk and you want a, a good steampunk story, I recently caught up with both the manga and the television adaptation of uh, full metal alchemist brotherhood specifically. You watch yeah, brotherhood specifically. Yes. Okay. Yes. Brotherhood, which is the better one. Yeah. If you, you tend to talk to people, people will, will mention that as being the, the, the better. Laura and I were just talking about anime yesterday and yeah. uh, how confusing it can be. And uh, that's brother, a full alchemist, uh, full metal alchemist brotherhood is a good example of that. It is. Yeah, yeah no. And, um, but yeah, if you're going to, 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 experience uh one of those forms of the story definitely do brotherhood it's a lot more succinct um apparently a more sincere adaptation well except the manga there's two different mangas too i i don't know whatever it's the one it's the one (laughs) the guy who wrote the original manga says is the better version exactly yes and so i would uh i would encourage um either reading or or again watching probably watching full metal alchemist brotherhood but but yeah a lot of steampunk goodness and just a really like sincere story about two brothers who made a mistake and um, kind of have to live their lives with that mistake and, and are trying to, you know, reconcile with that. And I think it does it in a very m- mature way. And sometimes has to hunt down seven deadly sins. You exactly. Know? Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> it's a great, it's, that's a great recommend that brotherhood is an exceptional anime series. Yes. Chelsea Raderman, what would you recommend? Um, so I'm actually going to recommend another piece of Emma Stone filmography with Easy A. Um, Ooh, yeah. So it's kind of a flip side of really this movie and how it's dealing with women and sex and how oh, um, society treats women and how their interactions with it. So um, different take, a little bit, uh, definitely more accessible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> we could recommend to pretty much anybody. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Great, great recommendation though. Easy A, man. What a great movie. Oh, man. Laurent Chapman. Uh, so I got three, but um, the ones uh, the ones I want to point out here are Teeth, the horror film Teeth, um, being one of those films that has a very feminist undertone, 
um, dealing with female agency, taking um, power over her own body in different ways, um, and using sex to, to make a really impactful uh, conversation about um, the female experience. And um, it's definitely not for everybody. Um, but, you know, but I think that in terms thematically and what it's trying to achieve, you know, um, very similar um, in that regard. Um, I think an obvious visual uh, inspiration and, um, for here, Bride of Frankenstein, um, is is definitely obviously in, in, you know um, in informing a lot of what's going on in the story visually, um, and then um, I mentioned Barbie several times. I really do think there's a correlation with these two movies. It's a great pairing. I yeah. just think there you know um, just thematically there's a lot going on similar with both of these characters. Um, again, one's a little bit more powerful than the other one, but mm-hmm. I think that the journey is the same, the objective's the same, and they kind of come I think in many ways to the same the same resolution at the end. Uh, I'm going to go, you know, just related, uh, speaking of Greta Gerwig, you said Barbie, I'm going to go back to her previous film, little women. Mm. Uh, every time I think about that movie, I just think of the scene when Bob Odenkirk walks in and the girls are so happy. The dad, that's how my brain goes. Every time I think about that movie, just such a sweet, sincere story about coming of age, a women, exceptional cast, great production design. Uh, I also want to give a shout to an underseen film called 20th century women. Which came out a few years ago. Kind of, uh, you're looking at basically three different generations of women processing what it's like to live at the end of the 20th century. What are their experiences? What can they learn from each other? And what can they pass down to the next generation? Um, And it does it in a very intimate way, but also was able to zoom out and look at the big picture of life and 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 what what it means to be a woman and today. uh, Also starring Greta Gerwig and mm -hmm. Annette Bening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And lastly, author Emma Stone recommendation. So there's this new show on Showtime called The Curse. <laughs> oh, Have you guys heard about I've this heard yet? About it. I want to see it. I know nothing about it except I... that it exists and that she's in it. <laughs> but... uh, alongside Nathan Fielder as the yeah. co-star. Do, okay. Are you familiar with Nathan yes, Fielder's yes. work? Okay. And uh, the third uh, thrice is Ben Safdie. So here's the, the Google synopsis, and I'm going to tell you how good it does or not. But Whitney and Asher Siegel are newlywed couples struggling to bring their vision for echo-conscious housing to the small community of Española, New Mexico. But their efforts are complicated by an alleged curse and an eccentrically flawed TV producer, Dougie, that's the one played by Ben Safdie, who sees opportunity in their story. And as the series unfolds, the couple find themselves caught in a mysterious web of ethical and moral gray zones, all while trying to keep the relationship afloat and conceive a child. It, it's so uncomfortable. Okay. It's so funny. I don't know if you guys, if you're if you're familiar with Nathan Fielder's other work, it's mm. that kind mm-hmm. of funny where you're like, "What is going on? Oh, this is uncomfortable," and then you're, yeah. but then you're like laughing through it. There's just all sorts like of a nervous laughter or like a it is very yeah, nervous, nervous laughter. laughter. Yeah. yeah, but again, here's the thing: Nathan Fielder's other work is like reality TV. That's yeah. So this is what makes mm-hmm. it kind of interesting because his others is like, how much of this is real? What's not real? Yeah. What kind of situations is he putting real people in? This is all scripted. But it, he's able to, like, the energy is the same. It's people getting in these crazy, uncomfortable conversations on the screen about really uncomfortable topics. There's also a big subtext about gentrification, which is, I say subtext, pretty textual. But, like, mm-hmm. they're kind of exploring, like, what is this doing to communities? It's deeply funny, guys. Yeah. Deeply, deeply funny. Just check it out. The Curse, it's on, if you have Paramount+, Plus, you can watch it via Paramount+, Plus because Showtime and Paramount have combined into one app at this mm-hmm. point. So... Check it out there. All right. Without without further ado, let's go ahead and get into our spoiler discussion for Poor Things. It's moving. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's moving. 
So I think there's a lot of different things we can talk about here. When you strip away the setting of this film and the aesthetic choices, Poor Things is essentially about a woman's journey to self-discovery. The adult woman begins life with the mind of a child, grows up and becomes a fully realized and autonomous person. We're, we're, all, we're obviously going to talk about the gender side of it, but I, I do think uh, it's this is uh, even broader than that is what makes us who we are. Is it our environment or are we just intrinsically born that way? Uh, so what do we think makes Yorgos's take on this classic thing through poor things unique and distinct? So I'll open up a table. Chelsea? Ooh. LeBron? Who wants to take it first? It's a deep uh, methodical question. Yes. Without, <laughs> wait, and it, without trying to tie it distinctly to the gender aspect. You, you Which is hard. It's it, very it, hard. If it's real, you, you can real, yeah, feel free. Go for it. Okay. Yeah. 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 So... Yorgos takes the Frankenstein approach with this. Like he has that that aspect here. And it's really interesting because having Bella with the body of an adult and the mind of a child, how she's having to interact with the world, women have to grow up so fast, especially in relation to the sexual aspect, because they're always told, don't walk alone. That's like, I mean, and it's it it's unfair. Yes how the nature of our world treats women in that particular aspect. So her having the mind of a child where she is, she's walking directly into that with her physical aspects and her absorbing that information and how she's interacting with it diverges from the nurture, from the social expectations, the polite society Mm -hmm. as they drive home in this one. And it's, her her nature is human nature, which is the sex is natural. Sex is a part of growth, a part of expansion. It's how we interact with each other. So I think that having that separation allows her to have the natural development more so than the nurture and the, 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 the social part where she's conforming she's, to protect herself. She's developing on her own, actually on her own terms, not uh, via the polite society, which represses mm-hmm. women's sexuality in, in many cases. And, mm-hmm. and she, okay. Yeah, actively diffusing stigma too. I think, what is the word she uses for sex while she's like learning about Violent, like, violent, like furious violent jumping. Furious jumping. 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 Furious jumping or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> this works so well. So funny. Um, but, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say it, and it is hard for me to, I think, answer this question because it's, it's difficult in my perspective to separate the the gender aspect. Yeah, the gender oppression because I think like again I mentioned it earlier um without spoilers you have even the you know her her creator slash caretaker the 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 mostly benevolent uh Godwin that's also called God uh Willem Dafoe's character who is like a Victor Frankenstein kind of crossed with Frankenstein's monster himself. He has all these visual scars when he eats, he has to have this giant like apparatus to allow him to like, because he doesn't have the like digestive enzymes because his dad wanted to see. And the belching. Oh, yeah, and it's like oh, the giant, it, he create he like when he belches, it's like this big marble-esque bubble oh. that, uh, which Bella finds hilarious. And then later you get, um, uh, Rami Youssef's character um, is it Ma- Maxwell, I think, or something. And Max, he's like, yeah. yeah, and he's very just like gr- like d- disturbed by it. And and I think that that approach too, where you have like that very childlike. But like, there's a point where um, because uh, Willem Dafoe's character, he's a he's a surgeon, 
And so he's like dissecting bodies and stuff. And, and at one point, Bella comes in and she's like, squish, squish. And he's like, only the dead ones. And she goes over and you just have her stabbing this dead body in the eyes and just like it's seemingly horrific, but it like diffuses it. It's just it kind of funny. It does. And in, in this world, yes, this weird, and, grotesque world they've created. Yeah. Yes. Which is what this film does so well is it it makes the grotesque. Um, a lot more palatable and I think diffuses a lot of the what would be horror and it does that even in, in other not every aspect and because it yeah. still keeps it and I think it has that good balance but yeah I think you have Godwin this character that creates her and he's like oh I did this thing and this is actually like one of the like most like groundbreaking medical procedures experiments ever and it's like oh, I just want to marry her off like I want to reintegrate her into this society that is just utterly um, you know, a, a oppressive and actively removing agency from women. So he's even from that. But then you have, you know, remnants of her past life um, mm-hmm. in, in, in both Mark Ruffalo's character, the the lawyer who like we're mentioning earlier his performance, oh, whether gosh. or not it like I will say it's so silly. I'm not going to defend it and be like, oh, it's a great performance because there is a moment like when he's first introduced, I could not stop thinking of. Jared Leto's role in House of Gucci, like it I, felt I mean, that, close to that a little bit. I, that, I, I, better, I think I, but, bought, I think it, I finally bought in. But the, it, the, fir- the first scene, he shows up. I, that, I was like, oh, this is it, one of those performances. It is, yeah. and it, but it, it, it ultimately works. But then uh, Christopher Abbott's character, he's introduced far later, um, because she has to reconcile with her past, and I think it's appropriate that she does that. She faces her past, but she's his, her before she basically dies, and what leads to her reanimation as Bella. Um, this character, she had a past life as I think Victoria maybe mm-hmm. was her name, mm-hmm. um, and which was appropriate because she is this just in Victorian society and like the perfect stand in. And she, she ultimately committed suicide while she was pregnant. That's what allowed for the whole operation to to get her the child. The uh, Basically, she's her own child's mind. Mm. And it yeah, it, it makes sense. The film makes it make sense. Um, but it uh, I don't know. I think that 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 refacing that. And then, then again, her old husband being just an utter like warmonger who sees every single human being as like mm-hmm. a product and a commodity. And he's like actively, he's like, I think the servants are going to revolt. <laughs> and like, I don't know yeah. why. And then he's just threatening them constantly. With the gun. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, I think you mentioning in the, the husband that, that I think that's actually a really interesting thing. It does is because by having, by us, so we were talking about that moment where you thought the movie is wrapping up and then this other chapter. And it's uh, literally, I object uh, to the end of this film. Right. It, well, <laughs> it's important though, because tying into the nature versus nature is. thing, it really does showcase like, okay, well, she was a different person when she was yeah. with this guy before. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's a good, it's a big contrast yeah. to she, but she's not, she, she has lived a clean, pure life without this guy. And here's who she is. Mm-hmm. So obviously, I, you know, there's a difference in the person she is. After death versus pre-death. I don't think the film would have been able to complete its commentary on self-actualization that I think it was like reaching for until that. That was pretty necessary. I feel like that confrontation with the past. And um, I think it was done in a a very. Yeah. Who was she before before we got introduced to this this new iteration of her? Yeah. And I think again, talking again, like I don't think you can kind of remove the gender aspect, but to make for making this very unique and distinct because if you think of like the, again, like with thematically dealing with like um, Bride of Frankenstein, um, like she was created, you know what I mean? To supplement Frankenstein. Like they created her so he had a wife. And here it's interesting that as she navigates throughout the world and yes, she's still living in an oppressive chauvinistic kind of, you know, male dominated world, 
but at every step of the way, she's challenging those notions, rejecting it, mm-hmm. rejecting it, and and creating this new path forward for herself. And and that's what's so interesting is that he, you know, he's allowing her, even though there are all these obstacles and challenges, she's not intimidated by any of it. Right. You know what I mean? Like everything from sexuality to go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh no, no, go ahead. No, and it's just it's just fascinating that. Um, that he was that he gave her room to breathe in that in that realm, and it becomes like this refreshing feminist kind of you know overtaking you know in mm-hmm. a way where um, like what if we gave women what if we did remove the shame from these kinds of experiences, right. mm-hmm. and um, and like you said, it makes so much of the grotesque kind of playful because even the sexuality in this in some ways yeah. it's not necess- it's not even like particularly at least for me not a like titillating in, in that way, but cause it's not being used for that. You know no. what I mean? Like um, in some ways, like, yeah, she's derives pleasure when from certain people, but even some of the characters that she interacts with, you would be like cringy. And you think this is going to go in a really gross. And it didn't surprisingly like, doesn't like even the grossest people that she has sex with, like there's yeah. an interesting, you know what I mean? Interaction that she has with each character, each, each person, um, because she's always in control of the situation. And I think that's what changes it. Cause mm-hmm. normally we're seeing the woman being violated in some way. And because that's removed here and the shame is removed here and her power is there, it doesn't, you know, it takes that kind of, you know, I don't know. That, that, well, it's that, unique. Cause there's like what's set up is she's one of the Toms that enters the brothel is a, uh, um, a man with his kids that he wants to show his kids how to have sex, and it's still gross. Like I'm not gonna yeah, say it's yeah. not gross. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty gross. Yeah, it's gross. But like this, I think the power of this film is that it's able to like kind of diffuse that and turn that around into a moment where she again yeah. is is asserting some kind of control. And and I don't know. I just think that's well. That's yeah, I mean, impressive. I think the the perspective, as I could tell, that the film took was that uh, she's using you know the, the the prostitution as a tool, which you know as a tool to uh, a means to uh, get out of the situation she's in. Which yeah. you know I've I mean as the dude who's asked about is this ethical and that you, there's actually a decent number of women who say I mean yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I thought that was interesting, an interesting position for the film to take mm-hmm. in it because it does show that she is owning her situation. Yeah. She is there because she wants to be, and it's only a temporary means mm-hmm. so that she can make enough money to right. leave the situation. And we live in a culture now that is definitely like championing like sex work is like you know like like it's work. You know, it's, take yeah, yeah. It is like mm-hmm. I mean, if they if they if you know if it's consensual and it's their 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 choice, then. Who are we to say why or why they should or shouldn't right. do that? You right. know? Chelsea, you're going to say something? Yeah, I was going to say um, kind of how we talked about earlier, like Yorgos's work, how it it's a little bit more bleak. I think that potentially Yorgos could have gone that tact with this one and ended it when her old husband showed up. And mm-hmm. if if she if if the movie had ended with okay, she's had this life, she's done this self discovery, and it's like she has discovered she needs to conform, it could have ended with I'm going to go with my husband. I'm going to go back to this life and that is the reality we all face mm-hmm. yeah could have been just as just as but he went the other way so which frequently would have been bleaker uh i, I mean i guess if we didn't know who the guy was uh <laughs> you, yeah you know uh no i yeah. i think uh, it's it's just a really powerful way to i think explore the sexuality and, and what that actually looks like um when applied to like real world in terms of like human development because that is her she knows that it's pleasurable, and through that, she's able to ask, start asking all these questions and learn about herself and what she likes and doesn't like. Gateway to her identity, I thought. Uh, what did you guys think about how this film utilizes that episodic chapter structure to kind of showcase different stages of her maturity? 
because I thought it was pretty neat because you basically mm-hmm. have there's there's the, like every time we go to a new chapter, she seems like she's evolved uh, mm-hmm. more from the previous chapter because she in that first chapter, she can barely speak. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, in the visual, normally I don't like um, because this one does also feature like abrupt like um, title cards. What would be the, mm-hmm. the word for? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Title mm-hmm. card. And um, in most cases, I kind of think that's a little bit. I think of like what are the I, was this the last podcast we were on together, Chelsea? The uh, was it the Zack Snyder cut of because <laughs> um, you were on that one, yeah, right? I was, yeah, yeah um, but one. I like that one has like such like just abrupt, um, you know, title cards that say nothing. And this film, normally I'm like kind of reluctant to embrace that, but in this film, I think those like you have her like floating amongst a, a fetus, and then you've got like her like <laughs> lounging on a, a bisected brain, and as she starts to to grow a little bit more and more, and then I think with those cuts, you do start to see slight. Except one, and and I'll explain it with the the change to color. Like normally, at first, this amount you have a lot of like fisheye lenses. You have a lot of um, you know very narrow um, framing, and then it starts to expand. It starts to get a little bit bigger. It starts to get more vast, and then you do have an abrupt shift to color mm-hmm. when she finally when she the first time she has sex, and like it it were I get it, and it need, it may be that demanded an abrupt change because sexuality was going to become such a big part of this film. But for me, I felt like. I wish that was a little bit more progressive, but, but all in all, it still does a big like, or excuse me, not progressive, but more gradual. And like, I think all in all, it does a really good job of conveying that cognitive development. And again, that actualization that she starts to, um, starts to bring in. And by the final act, you do have, you know, full in color, um, you know, fully, fully wide angle, no fish islands mm-hmm. anymore. And I, I think that works really well from the film aesthetically. I think it, it, it does a lot to carry what this film is about. Um, so overall I like those transitions and I think those title cards do kind of help. Um, but I also wonder if it necessarily needed them. And, and I like them because they're just like, it's eye fodder. <laughs> it just looks cool. And it's like, yeah. it's only a glimpse. So you get this like weird, I don't, I've, surrealist come around, I, I've, come around, I've come around to that sort yeah. of uh, language, the title cards. Uh, mm-hmm. I, you don't want to use it in every film, but I think no. especially one that's structured in a film similar to this. Uh, and if it's implemented well, uh, I think it can, it, it's pretty nice touch. I mean, uh, I was trying to think there's, there's, I feel like there's a couple of movies I've seen recently. I was going through that have like the chapter breakup, uh, like the hunger games does in fact do that. The title chapter mm-hmm. segment thing. Doesn't killers uh, of the flower moon do it too. I, I feel like it. Yeah. Maybe a, little, a little, a little bit. bit. Yeah. yeah. It's not consistent, but it's no. there. It's yeah. there for sure. Scorsese does in a lot of his movies. He did in the Irishman also. Mm-hmm. Uh, one that did not do it super well. In my opinion recently was the holdovers. They aren't doing chapters as much as they're doing. Like they're counting the days, but then it felt like they forgot in the second half of the movie. <laughs> yeah. They're like, yeah. oh, and they come back at the very end. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, we were counting the days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it can be well used, but I, I, I think here it works. It worked really well uh, for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, one of being that they, it's not just a gimmick where they throw tiles at the cards that you see an evolution her evolution, but yeah. also stylistically there's, there's choices made in the production that differ from the previous chapter. Mm-hmm. Chelsea, any thoughts on the episodic structure? Yeah. Um, so I think, because we treat development as episodes, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're 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 an infant, you're a child, you're an adolescent, you're a teen, you're an adult, mm-hmm. and I think right now, especially because of the conversation, just whether or not, um, over a lot of like the books in schools and things yeah. like that, like you yeah. should not be learning about these things until you are this age, mm-hmm. and you are at this stage of your development. I think that that it works really well in here because of how we treat development development developmental milestones Mm -hmm. and each of those title cards and that those sections are essentially almost that way. We're seeing different things happen in each one that are culminating in her 
maturation. Mm-hmm. And we're dealing like, yeah, we're dealing with the evolution of a character in a very specific way. And so I think that those title cards symbolically work really well with the story. Mm-hmm. And I agree visually, they're, they're just fun. And yeah, in, in general, I'm also not a huge fan of title cards unless it's implemented very well. And here I think it is. Um, I did find it, myself. I'm like, please keep that shot for a little bit, for a little longer, bit longer. There's so yeah. much that, like you could get lost looking at it. Like, where yeah. are we? Where are we going with this? And, and I'm yeah. sure on rewatch, we'll be able to tell you know, stylistically what's going on in that little, that little, well, there's clip. also a geographical location too. Yeah. For those. Yeah. yeah. Cause most of them are just saying like, yeah, London, Lebanon, okay. wherever we're going, you know, like, so, mm-hmm. um, but yeah. Um, and then we can, at one point there'll be think pieces about London. Let's talk about London's chapter. Let's talk about what, what's going on. You know what I mean? Like, and mm-hmm. so it does give you kind of a quick reference point to what each chapter is kind of going to delve into. So, yeah, I, I thought it was really, really neat. Uh, again, I'm, Maybe because Dan, I used to think like you, I'm like, oh, it's kind of intrusive when they put the things on the screen. But I don't know. My brain, it just it helps. It it helps me like, okay, here's where I am in the story. Reset. I don't know. It just changes the pace for me a little bit. Mm. I don't know. I'm coming around to it, I guess. And this is a real I thought there's a really creative way to implement it. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about uh, the historical fantasy setting. I mean, I say history. It's. A combination of fanta- of like cyber of the uh, not cyberpunk uh, steampunk, but also historical fiction. We talked about earlier yeah, a little bit of gothic horror. How there. did the, how does this setting sort of lend itself to this sort of like almost like mystical setting yeah. lend itself to the story we're experiencing? I think Bella? I think it's it, it's so integral to why this movie works mm-hmm. because I think this has been set in real world stakes. This would be very bleak and very you know what I mean. Maybe even heavy handed. You know what I mean? Like, so I think the fantastical elements is a is a really, you know, interesting lens into understanding it. It works in the same way that animation does for kids. You know what I mean? How you put them in these fantastical settings to, to kind of chew on some very timely themes, you know, movies like Inside Out, for example. Like, how can we talk about depression that in a way that a kid will understand, even if they don't know the term yet? But they understand like what that what that you know, what that's like, you know, finding an interesting way to dissect the complexity of a really you know meaty topic like that. And here again, dealing with agency, female autonomy, and um, like how you know it puts it in this very yeah like it, it you know we have a lot of ways into understanding it visually, ways understanding it on a human level. Mm-hmm. Um, so it explores it in many different ways, and so I think that the fantastical element is the strength of the film in terms of get, conveying all of its themes, a lot of meaty themes at the same time, you know? So, yeah. And I think it, the, the, the world building you're getting at this, like the environment that she is placed in and that specific fantasy setting, I think really speaks to who Bella is out the gate as a character, as she starts to, to find this, you know, who she is in her entirety now and the wholeness, but everywhere she looks, there's a reflection of what she is, which is an amalgam. I mean, right out the gate, you see like, what is it like a Boston Terrier crossed with a goose right. and all of these like kind of uh, uh, Arthur Gordon mentioned it, the uh, Dr. Moreau F setting. And then you see, you know, the, the gag with the, the horse, the visual, which was probably one of the best visual gags of the film, the, the horse crossed with the, the, the carriage, uh, but it's like literally a horse head on top. And again, it's these things that are, melded together and she too is like this this meld together unfortunately the other thing you see that's melded together which is actually very very real is um fucking assholes cr- like crossed with high-ranking socialites and uh, <laughs> military leaders um that's the one that hits a little close to home but i think that idea of manipulating the world um 
for science or fancy is like a part of the the weird space that Bella both finds herself, but I think ultimately pierces and again becomes a fully formed her own distinct being, um, despite her orin like her origin. And I think the fantasy setting really helps carry that idea. Um, mm -hmm. and again, especially with all of the amalgams in the word, like at first it's weird. It actually is like unsettling. And I think this kind of speaks to where you mentioned how the film finally clicks like halfway through. And mm -hmm. I get that because at first it just feels like, wow, we have this, like, again, for lack of a better term, a kind of like fairy tale princess. And I think that's visually conveyed with like Bella and her initial, like, um, outfitting she has those massive what's the shoulder word pads. for shoulder pads but like is yeah. it like pauldrons or something like that mm -hmm. and yeah, probably i think yeah that that and then you see Chelsea, all, do you know what those are called no not I, off my head no, I'm yeah they probably call that daniel yeah is it yeah let's go probably yeah. <laughs> but it's that and then again these very grotesque creatures and uh willem defoe's godwin um at the same time and and, and again how that slowly morphs into something that's really just like not only like her holistic self, but also just wholesome ultimately at the same time. And it's been the final shot of the film when you have a lot of like at least one thing that's frankly pretty scary um, in that somebody has had their brain switched with an animal. And, right. Uh, um, it was hilarious. But it was. It was hilarious. And it was like, oh, everything is right <laughs> in the world. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, no, I think that fantasy setting just helps kind of get that idea um, across of being an amalgam and being quote unquote, mm -hmm. like unnatural and then slowly making that natural and reclaiming right. her origin. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, definitely if it's a, her her journey, the whole world feels a lot more grounded by the, I mean, yes, it we does. still have flipped heads. It's like all there, like you've got yeah, the- Yeah, it's still the, the same, but the, the way we see it is definitely significantly closer to our reality than the beginning of the film. Yeah, yeah. Chelsea, what are your thoughts about the use of this setting? I think it is, it is always amusing to me how we have to- be in a place in a fantasy setting for the equality and the like <sighs> transcension of gender roles to occur. Um, and yeah. um, I, mm. Yorgo still falls into some of the, the issues the fantasy still has where it's um, you have the people of color tend to be um, guidance more so than the main characters. Very we do, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, we do have that in here. Um, so it, Always the kinda. spiritual Negro is what we call yes, that in yes. a lot of movies. <laughs> um, but you have to have fantasy in order to have these conversations because real world doesn't lend itself to them because we can't see past. We get too jaded. We, We're too jaded to actually have a meaningful conversation. Like that sounds great in theory, but dot, yeah, dot, dot. Yeah. So yeah. you have to have a movie like this in order to really point out how backwards and just like how much, how much we, cannot transcend our own realities realities yeah. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it is upsetting that women work out uh, are only able to work out their stuff in fantasies yeah. i mean I, women are always in charge in fantasy let's be real yeah <laughs> it, i think it's almost too kind of to trick the audience into because like you said if it was a straightforward saying oh this is feminist crap but like you know what i mean like but if you put it in this fantastical setting then it's like it's weirdly like more you know, digestible or yeah, for, men. for men, for men, yeah. for men, yeah. women are like, we get this. Like, this is like, okay, like, whatever you need to get, there, whatever you guys need to get there to understand this. But yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's, it, it's an, it's an interesting entry point. Um, and I think because, um, yeah, it, it the way it, pre it presents itself in a way that is complex, that is imaginative in a way, um, I mean, I hate to say, yeah, it just, it, it doesn't, because I think, again, if it was so straightforward, then we would feel like we were being preached at, even if we needed to be, 
Um, but it finds, yeah, it finds an interesting mm -hmm. way into our psyche um, to look at things from a fantastical lens, you know. If, if it had been set in real world, it would have ended with yeah. her going back to her husband. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I mean, have you guys seen White Lotus? I mean, come on. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's that's kind of how it would have been. Oh, yeah. Like, man, this is awful. This is terrible. But also, I like money. So, and I need to, to have the money mm -hmm. to, for the means sort of thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't have much more to add. I just, I did appreciate how, again, going back to the aesthetic evolution, we've already referenced a couple of points though, but the world she's in feels the closest to our reality. Mm -hmm. Like people, mm -hmm. the way it's shot, the way people are dressed, the way yeah. she, everyone talks, um, which I think is a good sort of coming of age thing. You start where everything is fantastic. Everything you see is fantastical. The, the horses are fantastical. The boats are fantastical. And every, I felt uh, that like every chapter we get closer and closer towards our reality uh, obviously not hundred percent or it's all very heightened, but you know, we're seeing stuff like the magic steamboat in the middle of the movie and you're not really seeing as much, even the carriages at the end, you're just seeing kind of how yeah. they were. Yeah. Right. So I, I, I kind of view it as, uh, this is her, her evolution as an adult. You start life, big eyes, everything's larger than life. And the, the, the older you get, the more kind of grounded and mm -hmm. reasonable it all becomes. So just, again, really, really neat uh, choice in terms of how it evolves from more of the fantasy closer to the reality. Uh, I, I do want to talk a little about, and here's here's actually a qualm I had in the movie. I, I, I did not say uh, in the spoiler-free section because I didn't want to get ahead of myself. But the, this film does connect the struggle of gender and cla to class infrastructure. My criticism is I don't think it says enough, but it's there. There's absolutely no denying it. The way she has sympathy for the people at the off the boat, right? Uh, obviously, they're studying communism in the university, mm -hmm. and so there is some of that in the text. So I just want to get you guys' take. I did not think it it said enough about it, though. I I felt like there was more to be said about a just the how the how the class infrastructure actually is a, a an additional oppressor. Mm -hmm. And I, again, they kind of get at it a little bit, but it's not as clear. I mean, the, the they're gender separate, they're, they're integrated in a way and they kind of influence each other. Whereas the, 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 the again, the gender being the most important part, mm -hmm. I would argue, but that one definitely sucks up a lot of the air thematically. If you're looking at the, the connection between the two, I thought, mm -hmm. um, because again, we really only get one scene where you're seeing people who are in poverty, like starvation. You yeah. obviously get the brothel scenes, but even the brothel looks kind of comfortable relative to like some of the the, yeah. the the people off the boat. Anyway, I just wanted to throw that at you guys. What do you guys think about how the how the film explores the class struggle with with gender? I think that it explores it whenever it's talking about the polite society. Yeah. It women and people are freed from polite society when they have exited the class requirements for yeah, polite society. Right, right. Yeah. And that is very much what happens whenever um, she gives away all the money and other poor, and then they get kicked off a boat and all this. So, but she gets to take that agency because she is not bound by the trappings of polite society that says <sighs> yeah. prostitution is bad. Right. right. Um, so she's able to engage in the in in the th those activities that would be seen as not polite society right yeah. yeah i don't know how well it like as you're saying caleb how it like connects the you know those two um those two threads but i did gonna sound, this is gonna sound awful because i don't like misery porn either but I, I i don't feel it was not clear to me in the movie that the, the people who were outside of the polite society had it that bad 
if that makes sense. And I think that I think that potentially he was trying to make the point not that they didn't have it bad, but they did have it better because they're not a part of because they are not a plus because they are able to mm-hmm. behave right? more naturally yes. transcend uh, those things that's how i saw it and yeah. I, I also felt like what i do like about that sequence in particular is that just i feel like this movie is very empathetic in what it's saying about this woman's journey and this woman's experience and i think that that's a moment where you know again like where she's extending this kind of empathetic gesture that's showing more of her humanity as Mm -hmm. this process is going on. And, you know, as I don't think it makes a strong enough point about class, but I, but I do think it, 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 it shows us another shade of her. Yeah, for sure. Of her. Yeah. Of this, this kind of beating heart she's starting to have for the human experience. And why do I get these things and these people don't. And, um, but the same thing with, with, you know, likening it to like, why do women have to do this? And men, get you know what I mean? Like there's this, there's a correlation there. It's not very. There's strong. not a huge exploration about like yeah. what makes a rich person rich or a poor person poor, and how, right. you know, and and it, what it is enough for the class thing to land emotionally, right. and, but it does work from a characterization standpoint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. agreed, so. agreed. Well, and I wonder how bloated the film might be if it tried to to tackle both, because I think as gender relates to class and kind of this deconstruction of chivalry, it it does it pretty well. Um, but yeah, it does feel like the the scene off the boat when you see yes people starving and you see and an, like an infant funeral for a moment. Um, mm-hmm. It's very, um, it does feel kind of glossed over a little it, bit. I guess it just and, feels like a scene that like if you're gonna put that in the movie, I want you to do more with it. I guess is my yeah. That's what yeah. No, I and I would absolutely agree. I, I think it might be a, a weakness of the film in that it kind of just brushes against it, but it doesn't. It only needs Bella to see it for a moment, so she's like aware of it for the sake of her character. But it doesn't feel um, like an intrinsic part of the film. It doesn't feel like it. It really is carried much further than that. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, too, and I feel weird saying this because I, when I use the word privilege, I don't mean like Bella in her entirety is like in a privileged position because she isn't. Um, when you take it from a gender perspective, but even when she's like you know, they wind up in Paris and they're without money because she gave all of Alfie or not Alfie, um, Mark Ruffalo's character. I can't think of his name, like Duncan. Whatever. Whatever. Yes. <laughs> she gives all of his money that was earned, you know, probably not. Uh, it was gambling. It was gambling. Yeah. And then, well, and then you think of like what his profession was like a lawyer. So like he probably didn't, and he was like a terrible lawyer. Like there's <laughs> yeah. that yeah. sequence when he's introduced. And he's, he's also like, a con man. So I'm not, I'm not actually completely convinced he actually was a lawyer. Cause they also comment on how his, like mm. grammar was he bad. was looking at the the, <laughs> yeah, the true, contract and he's like there are so true. many typos here and he's like hmm, yes and he's like not even there um listening but like i uh i don't know it, it still feels like she has a sense like somewhat of a of a again like a privileged position in that sequence like even though she still is moneyless and has to go to the brothel and again like it's weird it just i just feel like maybe trying to take a stab at, at classism in that sense, in the the you know the 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 one percent style. Because what did she um, say approach? at the end? Like whenever they're, I think she's in like the yellow, the yellow after they've she's given the money away. Yeah. Um, and he's on the bench. He's like, you gave all our money away. Now what are we gonna do? She's like, well, now you're liberated from this fact that you have all these yeah these luxuries and things. Now we can have we have a new a new way of 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 moving and navigating through the world. And mm-hmm. and she's not um cynical about that no. in that way because she doesn't necessarily see a huge value in in right. that the, well, again in the, she disregards yeah. she transcends the polite society mm-hmm. yes, yeah right. exactly it's like yeah. we don't need we don't need all these things you know and and that is an interesting stake like she's happy with with and, with 
li- with little. And either. she's okay with that, despite seeing what she just saw, which was horror, which was the mm-hmm. the people. It was in Greece, I think, is when mm-hmm. they're they're at. And and yeah, I don't know. Something about that doesn't fully mm-hmm. click. But at the same well, time, and it's like, also, how do you make that? Yeah, work, and I like, don't want to like. I'm not going to trying to tell armchair direct. I just it's yeah. one of those when I include that, and then they also have a reference when she's going to school for education about how they're learning about communism or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, there's something here yeah. if they don't really bring it all the way home for me. Yeah. yeah. Um, and perhaps he doesn't that. and I perhaps he doesn't fully understand it. No, right. and, yeah. and like he wants to address it but he doesn't fully get yeah. it. But, that, but there is a clear connection between I mean we we talk about systems, right? There's it, the mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. of the systems being class, a social economic class, mm-hmm. but then also gender being a part of that. And I uh, again, I don't want to think the movie fails. It's just one of those things where I'm like, "Oh, you're raising you're like you're raising this flag and I'm making a connection in my brain." I'm like, "All right, so where are we going with that yeah it's one it's one of the many cool ideas it has in its brain that it just doesn't go far enough with that i I think we should i would love to see explore and i I mean whether this film or another i would definitely love to to see another director work it's a great idea i guess but not fully realized i think that really it served one small point with the nature and nurture thing and i think that's really possibly all he wanted out of that which is she sees this and so again that divergence of nature and nurture is that nature says that we should act and so she acted. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas nurture as in polite society says, well, those people got themselves where they are. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Right. No. And so she is tra- transcending and saying, well, no, we need to act. Sorry, actually. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, it's a good, it's a good, it's a good, it's a powerful scene, by mm-hmm. the way. Uh, I, I want to acknowledge that. Uh, well, do we, uh, any other thoughts on uh, poor things that we, uh, anything we, uh, you, we haven't hit on that you guys want to call out before we wrap up today's conversation? If you're looking for something interesting, just like go watch it. But I think that the sex aspect, really, honestly, for how much sex is in that movie, it is not, it's not sexy sex. No, yeah, yeah, not at no. all. Yeah. So it, it's very clinical. Um, and mm-hmm. I think if you can approach it in that way, I think it's probably a lot of people can watch it if they're just watching it. It has utility. Yeah. It, it doesn't, it has utility outside of just being arousing or, yeah. or being. I really don't think it's ever designed to be arousing. No, no. It's not. It, it, And it's not, a, and it doesn't feel objectifying either. You know, which is as, as many naked bodies are in this movie. I don't think, I think in the same way, like, I mean, I hate to liken it to like a movie like Shame, you know, where mm-hmm. sex is used in a very specific way. Yeah. And it's not for eroticism. It's to convey another, you know, it's a, to convey a issue, trauma, really. trauma that yeah. he has. And yeah. here, you know, it's for this, it's enlightenment for her. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, what's pleasure? Like, am I allowed to have it? Why is, why well, is there shame attached to it? There is this, like, and I will say, like, whatever she's one of the slight touches and this I think speaks to to Stone's performance very strongly is when she is having sex it's like a inquisitive look like mm-hmm. you know what I mean like she's mm-hmm. pondering she's not like it's it's more wondering and it's more trying to understand this thing not so much like this mm-hmm. is just you know mm-hmm. utterly pleasure or debaucherous or anything like that it's right. more of just like it, it yeah. conveys that of like it's a part of the human experience and yes. the benefit of her having <laughs> a childlike mind in a fully developed woman's body is, well, it enables you to still, call. Well, it enables you yeah. to call out all the BS of the polite side. Exactly. Why is it this this way? Why is this she's this not way? Well, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. She's not indoctrinated, it, so she gets to <laughs> act on what feel what comes freely to her. What makes sense? What makes it, sense? And before it, all these concepts start to come in 
and attribute like this is where you're supposed to go and this is how you're supposed to think and this is how you're supposed to talk in these settings and and she's like why <laughs> which i love the i love the scene when it, we forget we're not even talking about how funny this movie really oh, yeah. is and it is pretty it's, funny it, yeah. the lines are very funny like the oh, scene what? where she's spitting out food and oh, she's yeah, like, yeah. why should i keep <laughs> chewing it if it's revolting because <laughs> it's not polite this lady made this food you know like and then i should go punch that baby because it's yeah, irritating yeah, 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 yeah. me like you know the impulse i just find all of that very very amusing also yeah. deliver the, the the typical yorgos lanthimos line delivery and that's consistent in all his movies where you're just like what? it's so deadpan everything's yeah. so yeah. deadpan yeah well and there was like yeah there is this one line and, and there is this weirdness just to mention it a little bit of like um again Robbie Yusuf's character like wanting to definitely being attracted a uh, very attracted to Bella despite knowing that like mm. at the time when he made like by that point she has the the mind of like a three or four year old and I think there is some weirdness in that but it does lead to a line where he asks uh Willem Dafoe's character Godwin like have you have you ever thought about you know like having sex with her or something like that and he's like are you insane he's like the the amount of like energy it would take for me to have an orgasm would like offset all of london's infrastructure or something like that and i'm like that's such a good yeah line but yeah there's a little bit of weirdness there but i think the film takes that weirdness and actually says something right. with yeah it. that's pretty productive for sure and this is humor is very notable yeah mm-hmm. um last thing i'm just gonna say uh willem dafoe He's amazing. Yeah. He deserves an Oscar. I, I think between the, this light the, and the lighthouse, I'm just like, man, this guy can just show up and just deliver these crazy impressive performances that no one else can do. But because people are used to him showing up so well every time that he never yeah. gets the credit, you know, th- he grounds it no matter what he's playing, you know, so Willem is kind of, um, I don't want to, this is a weird comparison. He's kind of like Hugh Grant right now. Um, but Willem's sewing up in like the, like the good stuff. And Hugh Grant mm-hmm. over here is like, oh, somebody sent me a script. I'm going to be in it. Cause he's been in some weird stuff this year. <laughs> uh, and let's not forget he's going to be an Oompa Loompa. That's what I'm saying. Year. Like, I think That's he right. just gets the script. It's like, yeah. Yeah. I, I, if I, I, and I, I appreciate Hugh Grant as a performer, so I don't want to sell him short. He's very good at certain things. I think Defoe has been showing up and hitting home runs with oh, yeah. very difficult material longer than Hugh Grant. And also, yeah. even when he's in it for a moment, because he was in Asteroid City too, yeah. and it was just momentary, mm-hmm. but it's so, it's the like Florida one of the most Project. memorable films. Florida yeah. Project, yep. Kind of steals yeah. away the humanity of that movie, you know, um, but. Because he can be charismatic and he can be cunning. Mm-hmm. And you know what I mean? He can play both of those characters, both of those 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 aspects of a character very well sometimes at the same time you know so and here he's this monstrous looking character but he's actually very humane and we mm-hmm. and charismatic and so i love that i love that contrast you know so yeah anyway give him the oscar yep. Yep. <laughs> all right ladies and gentlemen uh thank you so much for tuning into this week's review maybe you want to keep up with our uh, our guests today to find out where they're doing cool things online Daniel Bocamper, I'll start with you. Yeah, catch me on the Cinematropolis as well. Uh, not too long ago, wrote a piece on uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, a character analysis. Um, but also flickattack.com. I'm posting reviews there, fairly short reviews there uh, regularly. I think my most recent one is either the – it's either The Killer, uh, David Fincher's new film. But I think it's actually uh, the Argentinian film uh, – uh, I always want to say where evil lurks, but it's when evil lurks the possession film that is a roller coaster ride and one of the most unique and I think powerful horror films in a, in a year where there are several horror films that are strong, but um, bare minimum probably miles above the, what might be the most popular possession film in uh, the exorcist. Believe I would not say popular. Po- no, not popular. <laughs> hey, hey, no, but name recognition popular by meaning like people yeah. recognize it and people, the most people probably saw it 
as you know, over like talk to me, maybe would be the other one. And then I bet uh, I, I'm going to go do the run the box office numbers over this podcast. I wouldn't be surprised if talk to me makes more money. Really good. Mm-hmm. That makes my heart happy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Extra had a huge opening. Oh, I say huge. It had a solid opening weekend, but dropped off very heavily. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Daniel yeah. Bokipper, flick attack, uh, cinema metropolis, Laurent Chapman. Um, I don't have a cool place that to house all of my reviews, but I do uh, write them with intense regularity on Letterboxd. So you can follow me um, on Letterboxd at black underscore Cinna underscore man. Check them out, ladies and gentlemen. Great reviews. Chelsea Raderman. Yeah. Um, so you can find me on um, Twitter because I refuse to call it X um, at Cinephile Chelsea. Um, actually, it's pretty. It's all my it's my handle across all my platforms. So um, come have a chat. We've got movies. We've got music. We've got politics, what everything. Just come chat. <laughs> Chelsea takes. Check them out there. Uh, and of course, you can follow uh, me over on all the things. Yeah, Letterboxd, Instagram, Still X, uh, C Masters Talk, that's Letter C Masters Talk, or everything we do over at the Cinematropolis at thecinematropolis.com. And hey, please give us a rating and a review. All right, everyone, thank you so much for joining us. We'll catch you again next time in our review of Hayao Miyazaki's The Boy and the Heron. Very excited about this one. Until next time. Mm-hmm.